Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm always a big fan of buying no matter what the market is like because if you are buying for cash flow, then you will not lose. If you look up uh, the history of rent prices over time, um, at the most, usually rent prices just stabilize. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Sticks and Stones podcast. If you're new here, welcome. My name is Stone Fredrickson. I am your host. And on this show, I explore the different minds of very successful content creators, entrepreneurs, and investors to try to provide you with as much valuable information so that you can become successful. Today, I'm very excited to sit down and talk with Antonio, or also known as Invest Starters, on every social media platform, including TikTok, of which he has over 600,000 followers. Incredible what he has done on that platform. We chop it up a little bit about that, his strategy when starting out and his strategy currently, but I really wanted to focus on investing into real estate and his knowledge about that because he helps beginner real estate investors buy their first real estate property and uh, shows them you know, what a good location is to invest into, uh, how to analyze a deal for, for cash flow, and how to feel comfortable investing into a, a real estate property and not getting caught by that analysis paralysis state. Very knowledgeable. He goes through the exact process and everything you need to know in terms of buying your first real estate property. He talks about the current state of the real estate market, what he thinks. We, we chop it up about a ton of things, including content, but very, very excited to sit down and talk with him. There's a ton of value in this podcast, so super excited for you guys to listen and watch. Be sure to check out all of his socials linked in the description check out his real estate free guide in the description as well. Um, and if you are watching the podcast on YouTube, be sure to subscribe, comment any questions that you have below or any comments down in the comment section below. I read and, and, and respond to all of those like the video and whatever platform that you're listening to the podcast on, be sure to rate it five stars if you wouldn't mind. Thank you guys so much. Hope you enjoy and let's get into it. So Antonio, super excited for this podcast. You know, I'm looking into getting into real estate a little bit more this year, maybe next year. And you're really, you know, big into obviously on TikTok, but big into helping people get their first property. So I think this will be really beneficial for not only myself, but for a lot of people that are listening and watching. But before we get into that and maybe a little bit more about your TikTok success, I first just want to go over a little bit more about your story and who you are and what got you here. Yeah, I guess I'm here because we met up, but we, uh, how I ended up in on TikTok and, and doing, teaching this stuff was I was living in New York City when I was 24 to 26 and well, 27 too, but I had always wanted to invest in my first rental property and, but it always seemed like this thing that was out of reach, like either I didn't have enough money or like I'm young, how am I supposed to buy a house, right? Isn't that what old people do? Like no one my age is buying a house. So I had all these fears and these worries. I was so afraid of making a mistake that it wasn't until I kind of was forced into this position to make a decision about my renting or owning in the future that I said to myself, I was like, I got to be the owner. I can't be the renter. And from that scenario, I, I forced myself. I pulled out all the books. I spent four years reading books and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube YouTube videos about real estate investing. And I was like, this has got to be simpler. Like 
there's got to be a step-by-step process or formula. So I took my software engineering brain because I used to be a software engineer and I basically applied it to, okay, how can I make this into a process or a formula? And then I came up with my formula on how I did it. And that made me feel confident because I was like, all right, I'm basing most of my decisions off of data, off of numbers, and not off of what seemed like the most of the space was based off of, which was like hearsay or like what this person said or what this person said. And so while I'm going through that, those issues, I realized I was like, I can't be the only one to face this problem. So I just started talking about it online. And I already had a YouTube channel where I was talking about self-improvement stuff because I cared about it. But this finally started catching on because I would I would notice that there's other people that had this exact same problem. And every time I told them what my process was, they were like, oh, that, that feels clear. That makes me feel like I know what I'm, I'm doing. And I was like, okay, so there's something here. And I kept just going. I just kept posting. And uh, I started on YouTube. And then I switched over to TikTok in December 2020. And yeah, now we're here. The rest is history. Yeah. I mean, what you've done on TikTok is, is really remarkable. I mean, you know, over 600,000 followers and you've been posting consistently. I think you started like end of 2020. So that was, a, you know, a, ton, a while ago and you're still at it. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, like what was like the goal in the beginning? Like what was the strategy and, and, and kind of how does it compare to the, the goals and strategies now? Well, the beginning was 2017 when I posted my first YouTube video. So I know most people didn't see the 2017 to 2020, Antonio, but uh, the idea at that point in time was just post a video because people need to hear about this stuff, regardless of whether or not it's viral or whatnot. Like I was so passionate about self-improvement and getting people to take action that I needed to talk about it because I knew that if I helped one person, I could change an entire family, right? If that one person then is motivational and, and, and takes action and builds wealth for their family, then, hey, that entire family gets impacted and, and their friends. And so I realized the power of the internet, seeing how other people had influences on me. So I knew it had, that was like the strategy in the beginning. Now I'm definitely trying to be more strategic about it other than just post the video. But in the beginning, it was solely that, just like... Yeah. Wanting to talk about this thing that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough. I could totally relate to that because I mean, I, I started creating content, um, uh, because I, I, while well, I was in e-commerce before I did, uh, any of this and then got really big into investing compound interest, building your wealth. And I was like, this is insane. If I could just, you know, put $300 a month into an index fund for 30 years, I'll retire, you know, like just, just simple things like that in Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these other things were just super fascinating to me. And I was so obsessed with it to where I was like, other people got to know about it, you know, and other teenagers just need to start taking more advantage of, uh, opportunities like this. And so I think, you know, when a, when a reason and when you have that, why, and it's more important than your image or kind of how other people think about you. I think that's a good way to get uh, past those kind of insecurities. So that's really good. You know, uh, but I, I'm also curious, like now, since you're, you know, super busy with real estate in your business, how have you kind of integrated that and, and prioritized content in your life? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an ever evolving process. Depending on when you talk to me, maybe I'm spending more time content, more time real estate. Right now, it's definitely more time content. I see content creation and building systems in your business as creative uh, tasks, right? You really have to spend time thinking about the problem. How is it? How do I solve this thing? And content creation is the same way. It's like, okay, how do I come at this from a creative angle? How do I come at this and teach people in a different way? How do I make it engaging, entertaining? 
And so that takes a lot of your brain power. So I look at it as like my mornings are really built of creative tasks, whether that's doing something business oriented, like a system thing or content creation. And then the afternoons are more for when my creative energy's dried and I have nothing else left to give, I can then do like, if I'm looking at properties, I can analyze those no problem because that's a skill I built and I don't have to spend focus time to get better at the skill. I'm already good at it. So I can just punch a number, bunch of numbers in the calculator and then it's done, right? I don't have to really sit there and think creatively. That's how I kind of budget my days, two different tasks. I got it from deep work, which is like shallow work and deep work. And, and so deep work is anything that is creative or requires effort and energy. I love that. Yeah. I mean, and you know, putting those big tasks and and ones that require those, you know, creative thinking in the morning or, or whenever you have the most willpower and, you know, energy to, to get them done in the best of your ability. That's awesome. Let's let's dive into let's dive into real estate now because I've been waiting. I've been waiting to really get into this. You know, obviously, like I said earlier, you, you you're big into getting people to to buy their first property. Uh, kind of run me through uh, the buying process of uh, you know the the first home. You know, maybe some things. Uh, let's let's just talk. You know, for for me because I think a lot of people are in the same boat as you know I, I am. Haven't gotten a, a property uh, yet. Looking for it. Don't know really what to do. Uh, what are some things, you know, I need to do, maybe look out for, keep in mind and, and kind of, you know, maybe just like the overview of the process of buying your first home? Yeah. So if we're talking about home for rental property, because that's the lens at which I look at it as the first step is picking your strategy. There's a, a lot of different ways you can go about real estate investing. There's Airbnb, there's rental arbitrage, there's long-term rentals, there's turnkey rentals, there's house hacking, there's wholesaling, there's um, wholetailing, there's there's all these, you know, fix and flip, there's all these different strategies. And each one will help you accomplish a different goal. So if you're someone that's that doesn't have much money and has a lot of time, then wholesaling might be good for you because it's not something that requires a lot of money, but it requires a crap ton of time. Right. If you're someone who's good with their hands and understands what it takes to fix up a house and you have some money, and you're, you want to make a, a lot of profit quickly, then I would go with flipping. If you're someone who's trying to build passive income and wealth, then I would pick one of the forms of buy and hold, uh, which would be rental property or Airbnb, something like that. Once you've picked one, uh, because when I was starting out, uh, what I realized was that I kept bouncing back and forth between which strategy. One day I was like, I need to generate a lot of money quickly, so maybe I should flip. And then, but I was like, oh, but I don't know how to fix anything. So maybe I should do buy and hold because I know I want to be able to do that long-term anyway. But then I would bounce back to fix and flip because I was like, but I need to generate a lot of money quickly, right? So yeah. until I said, okay, I'm just going to pick this one and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Was I able to move on to the next step? The second step is picking a location. And this is more and more challenging by the day as the home prices keep going up. Where, where do you live right now? Arizona. Arizona. Okay. Oh, uh, and the home prices have skyrocketed right by you, yeah. I'm assuming? Yeah. 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 Okay. So <laughs> as, as most of the country, right? Most people just assume that, okay, because I live in Arizona, I should invest there. And that's exactly what I assumed. I was like, oh, I live in Manhattan. I guess I have to invest here. But looking at the home prices in Manhattan, there's no way I was going to be able to afford anything for like yeah. the next five to 10 years. Instead of just assuming that you have to invest where you live, I highly recommend you invest in a city that is actually good for investing. And the way you would do that is you would look at the home price in the area 
and compare that to the uh, annual rents that you can get from an average home. That's called price to rent ratio. You wanna pick a city that has low price to rent ratio. If you do that, then what you're saying is, is I have a higher probability of finding a home that's actually gonna be profitable right. on the market. If I go to Zillow right now and I look at a home in Akron, Ohio, I have a higher chance of finding a home that's profitable than find than doing the same thing in New York City or Arizona. Got it. So, but not only that, right? Because you don't want to invest in an area that's profitable, but is also the hood, right? Or you know where a lot of bad things might happen. So, right. you want to look for areas with low crime, high population growth, low unemployment rates, low property taxes, and is in a landlord-friendly area. That's how I look at it. And combining all of those, you then pick one city based on the data points, right? Don't let someone tell, don't let me tell you that it's a good idea to invest in Akron, Ohio. Do the research and let the data tell you that it's a good idea to invest in Akron, Ohio compared to wherever else you're looking at. Got it. Where do you, so that's step two. Where do you, uh, yeah. what, 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 maybe what tools do you use for that, for that step? You know, maybe even just for looking at the houses, is Zillow a good, you know, website, a, a tool to use, or is there different ones? Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of different ones. I So citydata.com is what I use for crime and unemployment rate. I have a whole YouTube video outlining and TikTok outlining cool. every single website if you want to do it yourself. The first step is to brainstorm the list of cities, right? You need to first come up with what cities will I even look at. Right. Then you crime and unemployment are on city data. Then usa.com slash rank has population growth. Then Zillow has median home prices for month, but month to month to month for every single city around the US. Then I use Rentometer or a rent cafe to get the rent prices. Then I use smart assets, rental property or their uh, property tax calculator for property taxes. And then I use a map to determine the landlord friendliness. There's this online infographic that'll show you which cities, states are more landlord friendly than the others. Love it. And the point of this process is that it's it's free. Anyone can do it. Right. But also, it's it's not necessarily about how accurate is each data point. It's more about, I use this example a lot. If I'm in Austin today, right, and I'm trying to lose weight, and I step on my scale and my weight, my weight says I'm 183, and then tomorrow I step on that scale and it says I'm 182, we can conclude that I lost weight, right? right. But if I take that, that same weight of 183 in Austin on day one, and then I fly to New Jersey and day two, it says I'm 184 on a different scale, that doesn't mean that I gained weight. I'm on a different scale. I need to have consistent data points with the same scale. Right. So as long as you're using the same data sets, for each thing, then you should be on the same scale. And then the data doesn't necessarily matter how accurate it is because ultimately, yeah, sure, we could pay thousands of dollars for the most accurate information, but is anyone going to do that? Probably not. Right. Okay. So what's step three? Okay. You do the research, you got, you got your strategy kind of planned down, you, you know, say it's a rental property, say for me, I'm, I'm kind of looking into house hacking, you know, getting two units, running out one unit and having that pay off the mortgage. We'll kind of get your take on that. But Say you got your strategy, say you've done the research, now what? Uh, now you got to get pre-approved, you got to get funding, right? That's where the, the next step is, is okay, once you know what city you're going to invest in, you have a good idea of what home prices you're aiming for. Now, if you didn't know what city, right, the home prices change drastically. So let's say you pick a city with home prices that are 200000 If that's the case, then you need to go to a bank, call them. You don't need to show up to a bank. In some of these, you could even just apply online. You apply and you enter all your information and you say, I want to get pre-approved for a rental property up to two hundred k. If you're going to house hack, you say you're going to buy a 
a primary residence. That's really just step three. And, okay. and some people might get stuck there because their credit score is not high enough, or maybe they don't have enough money saved. And that's totally okay. I had to spend about a year getting more job history because I had a gap between two jobs. And so the bank was like, I need to see two years consistent. So I, I waited two years. Now there's ways around that now that I've learned, but there, there may be blockers there and that's okay. Once, once you apply, the bank will tell you why you didn't get pre-approved if you didn't. If you did, you're good to move on to the next step. If you didn't, then you need to focus on getting those things. Maybe it's savings, credit score, whatever. And then step four is simply looking at properties every single day and analyzing them. The formula to figure out if a property, a rental property is a good deal is just taking the rent and subtracting all of the expenses every single month. And so if you do that, I before I bought my first property, I had to analyze over 200 I made offers on nine out of the 200 and out of the nine, I got two offers accepted and one failed and, and I ended up getting the second one. But that took me looking at 200 properties and feeling confident about the numbers after doing it a bunch, right? So just like anything else, if you want to get better at the bench press, you got to keep benching, right? right. It, it's just that simple. Um, and that might take you longer now that we're in a hotter market, more people are offering, more people want to buy houses, but in a, in a buyer's market, and which, you know, that might happen sometime soon. We don't know. That could be a lot quicker. Like maybe it only takes you 50 homes before you find one that's a good deal. But it takes time. It takes time to find one. That's for sure. Got it. Got it. And then, you know, in terms of like the expenses, you know, is there anything that I, I or, you know, anyone else that's, you know, getting a... a first property should keep in mind, maybe it's, you know, additional expenses or maybe even just like the time, the liabilities, anything like that to where to, to just keep in mind. Yeah. So with every property I save on top of your mortgage, your taxes, your insurance, your property management, I save about 20% just in case if anything goes wrong. And that's usually split up between vacancy, meaning someone might not be living there and I have to cover the mortgage and costs because that will happen. I save for repairs because that will happen. And I save for capital expenditures, which are like repairs, but they're classified differently to for tax situations. So I put them differently. They're like the bigger things like a roof or a driveway or something like that that needs to get redone. And you want to profit on top of that 20%, 21 to be exact for me, sometimes higher, sometimes lower, because that's what will determine like make or break over the long term, right? You could be profitable on a property for five years straight because nothing went wrong. And then as soon as one sewer pipe bursts, right, you could lose the last four years of profit mm. if you didn't save anything on top of that. And, and that's the problem that I see a lot right now is a lot of investors are buying and saying like, oh, this property cash flows, but they're only looking over the mortgage, the taxes and the insurance. And I'm like, that's not nearly as much of all the costs you should be budgeting for. Now they're going to be able to buy a lot more properties because according to them, a lot more properties show up as profitable, right? Because they're not consuming a lot of expenses, but I'd rather say no to a potentially good deal and say yes to really good deals than to take a average deal and have a bunch of average deals and have them potentially all screw up at some point in time. And then me losing all my money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that all, that, that definitely makes sense. Do you, so when you're saving this money, do you, do you like, or even when you're buying all these properties, I mean, especially when you're getting the multiple or do you do it like maybe under an LLC or is there an, a specific way you do it? You know, do you have like a, a, a team or is it just you? Um, well, I have a, 
the definition of a team is a little bit uh, different. I don't have yeah. employees working under me buying properties in real estate. A team sometimes means um, like people that have functions that work with you, not necessarily for you. So yeah, technically I have a team, but I don't have any employees. I have a I have real estate agent usually, maybe a wholesaler that I'm working with. Got it. I have inspectors. I have the bank of whoever I'm getting the loan from. I have contractors to help me know how much it's going to cost. Yeah, and I have yeah. my partners on my property. So it's all like, yeah, there's no like employees in the end. It's yeah, just, that makes uh, sense. Team members. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. How about? Um, and I buy them under an LLC. I forgot to answer that yeah, one. Yeah, all but good. my first yeah. one I did not. Yeah, got it. So I mean, what, what do you what do you rec- uh, what do you think about house ha- house hacking? Because that's you know something I'm looking more into. And uh, like I like I told you before this podcast, I mean, I don't know much about real estate. I've watched a couple Graham Stephan videos, but that's about it. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to get your take on that. And if so, you know, maybe some advice you would give someone like me or anyone else that's, you know, looking to house hack. I accidentally knocked out my wire. I missed. Oh, I missed all good. No, I was yeah, after I, house hacking. Yeah. All good. I was just, uh, I was, I, I was wanting to get your take on, on house hacking and, and kind of uh, maybe, some advice you would give for someone like me, or even if it's like a good idea to do for your first first house? Yeah, I mean, it, it can be a good idea. The only challenge with house hacking is is that the benefit is that you, you get to buy a house for cheaper, right? The con is that because you're buying the house for cheaper, your mortgage is going to be higher. You also have PMI. And because of those two things, your chances of finding a good deal are lower than if someone was putting more money down. To give you an example, right? Let's say we're looking at a $100,000 house. On a $100,000 house, if you buy it with an FHA loan, your mortgage is going to be 96500 If you bought that with 25% down, your mortgage is going to be 75000 The mortgage on a $75,000 uh, loan is lower than the mortgage on a $96,000 loan. So you need the rents to be higher in order for you to cover the cost. But... It can save you years of having to save to buy a property because you're putting only three to five percent down instead of twenty to twenty-five. Yeah. Because how much longer would it take you to save three thousand five hundred versus twenty-five thousand dollars? Right. Like yeah. that time difference is huge. Um, For and sure. So a lot of times it's worth to take the extra cost. For sure. For sure. What 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 is your opinion on uh on this market and and especially with interest rates going up? Should someone like me, um, you know, even be screwing around with a market like this or or wait? Like, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm always a big fan of buying, no matter what the market is like, because if you are buying for cash flow, then you will not lose. If you look up uh, the history of rent prices over time. Um, at the most, usually rent prices just stabilize. In a recession, what happens is, is people lose jobs. If people lose jobs, they can't get, apply for a mortgage. So if they can't apply for a mortgage, then they can't buy a house. If they can't buy a house, what do they do? They rent. So renting actually goes up during a recession. If renting goes up during a recession, your demand is still there. So I wouldn't worry about the demand. The problem is, is when you buy a house based on the home value, if you buy a house today, let's say you buy a house in Arizona for $400,000 today, right? Is that is that a fair yeah. price for a house in sure. where yeah. you're at? Yep. Okay. Okay. So if the house is $400,000 today, you buy it. 
But um, you ran the numbers and you're making $200 a month in cash flow with your house hack, right? Let's say they decide to raise the interest rate to 16% tomorrow and the and the, the market tanks. Like every house drops 50%, which I don't think has happened five, 50% in a lot of markets around the US. I don't know for a fact of what happened in 2008, but I'm pretty sure 50% was... It's probably more than what is, is more than likely would happen. So let's say now your house is worth two hundred thousand dollars, right? You're still making two hundred dollars a month. It doesn't matter what your house is worth, right? Right. In five years from now, let's say it only goes up to three hundred. That's okay. You just can't tap the equity of the house. That's it. Yeah. That's the only con. Like you can't use the equity inside the house to get you more house. That's okay. You made a mistake, but you are making cash flow regardless. But here's the other side of the scenario. Let's say you wait to buy a house and you don't. You wait two years and the house is $400,000 today and the market doesn't crash, okay? And in two years from now, it's now 450, that same house. Now you gotta put down more money. Now your chances of that same property cash flowing is lower and you missed out on two years of tax benefits on appreciation and cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's no scenario in my mind. As long as you're buying for rental, then you lose. If you're going to fix and flip, that's a different story. Right. Because you're dependent on the home value. Yeah. But if you're buying for a rental, there's no loss. Uh, 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 the other con is also Airbnb. If you're going to Airbnb, you might be a little bit wary because of the uh, because in a recession, people tend to less spend less money on vacations. And if they do, that means vacation rentals will drop. Right. Okay. So, you know, piggybacking off the uh, waiting and, and maybe the analysis paralysis state, you know, being really afraid because this is a huge investment. This is a lot of money. Kind of wonder what is your piece of advice to kind of get out of that state and just, you know, go ahead and, and take action on maybe, you know, a product that you think is, is a good, good investment. You got to start putting yourself out there. That's going to be my biggest thing here is that it's easy to be behind the computer and looking at Zillow and being like, yeah, I want to do this. I did that for so long. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it's really different when you start calling a lender and getting pre-approved. It's different when you start speaking to a real estate agent and they're sending you properties because now you're out here in the world saying, I want to do this thing. It's not just in my own head, right? right? It's one thing to tell me, right, on here, but it's another thing to tell the real estate agent whose now income is dependent on you buying a property. So they're going to make sure that you buy one. They're going to keep calling you. Uh, the lender's going to be like, hey, what's going on with that loan? Because they don't make money until you do. Putting yourself out there and telling these people is going to be the biggest way to n not be able to turn back because you went out there. Yeah. Now, just if you call them and then you don't do anything, then they're going to think you're not a legitimate person. And then right. you're just hurting yourself long-term. But if you call them and say, hey, I want to do this, and then them following up with you actually gets you to take action, then that'd be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Kind of keep, keeps you accountable because they're, they're you know, following up on you and uh, making sure that, you know, you're staying up with, you know, keeping up with your word, especially if you're interested in buying or getting a loan or, um, yeah, you know, getting repairs, things like that for a contractor. Yeah, totally makes sense. Okay. Let's fast forward a couple years. Maybe, uh, you get some, you know, rental properties. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about tenants, you know, like how do you find them? What do you look out for? And, and kind of what's the process look like, you know, for, for getting them to move in and try to stay for as long as possible. I actually don't do any of that. I, I have property managers who do that. Mm. Um, my goal is to be an asset manager, right? Um, if I am spending time managing the properties, getting the tenants, 
then <clears throat> my time is being spent in other places. It would be like if I decided to respond to every single comment and every single DM instead of having someone else do it for me, right? That takes a lot of my time, and I can't think of the new concept that might make me go viral again rather than um, doing that. So my main focus is going to be buying properties. My, my number one tip would be get a really good property management company. If you're going to plan on doing it on your own, there is a book on managing rentals from bigger pockets that I'd probably recommend. I haven't read it, but I have heard other people say that it was good. But basically, you're looking for someone who has a job, who doesn't have any bad history, who has a decent credit score, which is a good showing that they'll actually pay back. And the way you'll – there's three main factors of how to actually get the tenants, right? If you put yourself in the mind of a tenant, first is location, right? If you got a, a property in downtown – if you got a property in downtown New York City, right next to a gym, right next to a couple bars – right next to the subway station, right? That is a prime location. A lot of people yeah. want to live there. So you're going to get the best of the best. Um, so location is something you could do before you buy. The second thing is, and I just want to highlight that location doesn't necessarily mean it has to be New York City. It, it could mean like just one mile away from a grocery store in a small town too, right? That's a good location right. in that town. Then uh, it's the price, right? Like, so I had one property where we tried to list it for 850. The property management company said, hey, we haven't gotten any bites. So we lowered it to 800. No one, no one went. So we lowered it to 775. No one went. And so we got it at 750. There's a concept called fair market rent. It's what tenants are willing to pay for in that area for a property similar size of bedrooms and baths and square footage. You can't determine the fair market rent, but you can determine your price around the fair market rent. And so in that scenario, the fair market rent was 850 And my property, in my opinion, was nicer than some others. But that could just mean that there weren't that many people looking at that time and people were already in places. Like other people had specials and they were trying to get people in. So I had to lower my price, right? Just like if you were offering a price for a coaching call, there's other people that are also offering prices for coaching calls and you need to be competitive with them. Um, right. You can't just be completely out of touch. And then the last thing is the value, right? How much, or what are you getting here, right? If your property has a pool and no other properties have a pool, that's going to be really enticing. If you can allow pets, other people will want that, right? What can you do? How does the property look on the inside? These are all levers you can change to make the property more enticing for someone to want to live there. If there's extra space in the house, that's more enticing for someone, right? You can use all these different things to find a way to market your property best to get people to come. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. And so, you know, uh, when you're, when you're looking at maybe, you know, the project managers, what do you, what are you then looking, looking for? How do you find them? And, um, in terms of like pricing or, or, or payment kind of, how does, Run, run, run me through that. How does that work? Yeah, they typically charge somewhere between uh, eight and twelve percent of the monthly rent. They will. So if you charge a thousand dollars, it's eighty to one hundred and twenty bucks. They'll also typically charge a fee on top of whatever work gets done. So if uh, someone's coming to do a thousand dollar job, they'll probably charge a percentage on top of that fee. Mm, okay. Um, to oversee the contractor. And right. then if they place a new tenant, a lot of them will charge a fee for placing a new tenant. And that's usually one month's rent or 25% a month rents, one month's rent somewhere in that time frame. The way I find them is usually um, I am 
finding one person who I trust in that market first. And that usually is my real estate agent. Um, if I find a really good investor friendly agent, then the investor friendly agent has property managers, has contractors, has, uh, you know, everyone that I need. So if I find that one person I trust, then I'm willing to extend that trust to other people. That's, that's one way you can find them. The other way is you simply just go on Google and you search property managers in Little Rock, Arkansas, or wherever you want to invest. And then you search um, and call the ones with the best reviews. I'd say at least three and speak to them on the phone. You'd be surprised how many don't call you back. The ones that call you back, obviously, are the ones that you want to talk to. And you ask them about their pricing, ask them about their experience, how many units they have. Um, you can even ask them for investor referrals and go with the one that you seem has the best price for the best value. And make sure you're not in a contract that locks you in for a year or anything. Uh, this way, if they suck after the first year, or after the first month, you can just get rid of them and find a new one. I think we hammered all the points in terms in terms of real estate. I mean, I, uh, you know, that, that was a ton of value right there. And, um, you know, if, for those of you listening and watching, if you're not subscribed to the YouTube already, be sure to subscribe, hit the like button for the YouTube algorithm, uh, rate it five stars because, you know, this is this is a ton of value. Let's let's kind of dive into uh, your, your your kind of your view on money investing and, and saving. Obviously, you're heavy into real estate, but um, always love to, you know, kind of talk about money, normalize money, uh, kind of give me your take on money, your view on it and, and kind of ob obtaining financial freedom. It's funny which context you ask me about money. Like when it comes to coaching, I don't like money as much. Uh, cause I think there's a lot more of a, in my head, there's a lot more of a negative connotation around money when it comes to coaching because people are not necessarily getting something tangible at the end of it. I'm a very tangible person. Um, like, you know, you pay $5,000 for coaching this, and then at the end, you may or may not end up with something. So I'm very much a tangible person. I like products more. I like software more. I like, uh, even though software is not tangible, you usually get something from the software delivered to you. Like Spotify, you get music. Um, right. And uh, with real estate, I, I have no problem with money. I'm actually very good with money. But when it comes to my personal business and charging people one-on-one -on -one for coaching. I don't like that as much. I don't know why. That's just my view of money. Now, in terms of financial freedom, I do think that um, financial freedom is like a good goal, uh, but I don't think it's the end. It's not like you're going to get financial freedom and then want to chill on a beach for forever. Like the people who end up going for financial freedom, for the most part, want to make a bigger impact on the world. And sure, financial freedom is great. What is really powerful is once you have the money, what you do with that money to either amplify your goodness in the world or amplify your evil in the world. One of the two. Uh, yeah, I, I'd like to think that I'm I'm good. So uh, hopefully I'm amplifying the good in the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's a that's a really good point, too, because it's like a lot of people think, uh, you know, you obtain financial freedom and then you like you said, go on a beach and, and, and chill out. But uh, you see, you know, time and time again, a lot of people that you know, or, or can retire, you know, at any time, they, they still continue to work because they love what they're doing. They're still creating a, a huge positive impact on the world. I mean, even the, the richest people, wealthiest people in the world, they're still working and, and still getting after it. Um, what, what's your, what's your goal with, with all this, uh, getting all this money, kind of what, what is like the big goal, uh, for Antonio? Like what is, what is the main purpose, the main thing that you really want to do? in the world. It's hard for me to think out 10, 15, 20 years that far. 
But right now, my immediate goal is to retire my dad, who uh, is a contractor, and he has arthritis in his uh, shoulder, hip, and knee. So it's very hard for him to work consistently. He's an immigrant from Italy. Same with my mom. And so they both came here, sacrificed a lot for me to be where I am. And so my immediate goal is to retire them um, with the rental properties. If I can do that, then I can uh, worry about myself afterwards because I got a long way to go. I see it as that's that's like a, a kind of a mission type yeah. goal. For me, I'd love to have a million dollars passive from real estate, mainly because it's a milestone of I am in I'm up there with the big dogs basically that's kind of that's the kind of way I see it and if, yeah. if I could be up there then I think I'm in a pretty good pretty good spot financially but I, I like mission another mission goal of mine is to start a school long term of helping people learn about things like finances education or emotions relationships social interaction stuff that that school should that's be awesome. teaching but is not yeah um and, you know, that's very far down the line. My platform right now is just the stepping stone to that at some point in time. But, um, yeah, that is that is the long-term goal, we could say. That's awesome, man. Um, I, you know, probably uh, my last question here. What's, uh, what's one piece of advice that will always stick with you for the rest of your life? Now, um, you know, don't think too hard on this. It could be anything, but, yeah. It is it is a hard question, but I have to say, <laughs> yeah. I, I've have you read "Letting Go" by David Hawkins? I have not, but I've heard of the book. Yeah, very very powerful. The concept of just letting go. Um, I'd say that most scenarios, if you're struggling with something, chances are you're holding on to some form of emotional regret or pain or anger or something, and that's preventing you to change. Um, and until you accept it and let it go, will the scenario change? I used to be so angry at YouTube for not giving me views. I'd be like, I did everything right. I did the right thumbnails. And then until I worked on letting go that feeling of not getting the results, did it come to my head? Is that maybe I should start TikTok? Okay. So I started TikTok and then all of a sudden all these results started coming in out of almost nowhere. And I was like, had I had I done this two years ago, I'd have 15 million followers on TikTok, for Christ's sake. Um, yeah. it, but it was just, uh, you know, it, it wasn't until I accepted it and let it go. And that seems to pervade in a lot of different areas of my life that I don't think I'll ever forget that. I think that's awesome, man. Um, especially, you know, on the, on the, you know, YouTube slash TikTok side of it. I mean, I can even relate to that too, because I started on YouTube and I was, you know, pissed off on the, on the engagement. I was like, what the hell is going on? I'm providing value. I'm having somewhat of a, uh, you know, engaging hook, I think. Um, until one of my, you know, uh, brother's buddies came up to me and, and said, dude, you have amazing value, but you're on the wrong platform. You got to get on the other platform, uh, TikTok. And so that's when I, you know, started on that and, uh, yeah, the rest is history, but you have, uh, you have anything for me before we wrap up? Any questions? No, I mean, I'm all, I'm all good. This was, this was fun awesome. to talk about real estate. I love talking about real estate. I could talk about it all day. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in getting into it. I'm really excited too. Um, but that's, that's, uh, that's all. That's what's, when are you going to get started? That's the real question. <sighs> I don't know. You know, to be honest, like I want to probably, you know, doing step one, step two, uh, maybe even step three by the end of this year. 
and then we'll we'll kind of we'll kind of see. I, I to be honest, I'm trying to to stay in my parents' house for as long as I possibly can, save up as much as I can, uh, you know, take mm-hmm. advantage of of the the low expenses, the the cost of living, and then you know, like I said earlier, house hack, and then for you know maybe for a year or two and um, move out and just build it build it out like that. Easier said than done, but you know it's uh, it's super exciting to think about. Um, yeah, if if, if if that's your long term vision, then then do that. And staying at your parents' houses is the cheapest thing you could possibly do, which is good. Uh, not cheap isn't yeah. bad. Cheap isn't good because you send, end up saving yeah. a lot of money that way. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's gonna, uh, that's going to do it all for uh, this episode of the Sticks and Stones podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching. Uh, be sure to subscribe, like the video, rate it five stars, whatever platform you're listening on. Follow the TikTok if you're not already uh, at Stone Fredrickson at Coach Stone. Be sure to check out Antonio. All of his socials, all of his links are down in the description. And, uh, you know, follow my Instagram, add me on LinkedIn, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.